I'm Lee Schneider. This is the Future of Food. In this series of podcasts for season three, we're going to look at how restaurants can make it in these strange times. This week on Future of Food, we're going to hear from two people. My name is Lex Gobnik Lewinsky, owner, managing partner of Augie's Montreal Deli. Hi, I'm Tasso Rumoyotis. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Number AI. We've got the managing partner of a deli and a tech guy who loves restaurants. Now, we didn't talk much about tech in the last season of Future of Food, but for the next few episodes, I'm going to get into some tech solutions for the crisis facing restaurants. If you haven't heard, the situation is getting worse here in California. Every day, there's a new report of a restaurant closing its doors forever. Some restaurant owners are fighting back, openly defying the ban on outdoor dining. This week, a group of California state senators, both Democrats and Republicans, asked Governor Newsom to allow restaurants to reopen. They want restaurants to be classified as essential businesses. They said in a letter to the governor that restaurants are more than a place to eat. Quoting from the letter, Restaurants are active participants in local neighborhoods, providing meals to senior citizens and working with food banks to feed families to put food on their tables. Newsom may do nothing, or he may hear this as part of the growing chorus of voices asking for restaurants to go back online. Now, speaking of online, that's where today's guests come in. Numa is a texting app that you can use to order from a restaurant. Tasso, we heard from him just a moment ago, he runs the company that developed it. Lex is one of the restaurant owners using it. We talk about the ordering apps like Caviar and Grubhub and learn whether they are saviors or are really just messing things up for the restaurant business. Let's hear from Lex first. We're in big trouble. Uh, obviously, the industry was was already really struggling, especially here in Northern California in the Bay Area with just the cost of doing business, the cost of labor. Uh, many restaurants were barely making it before this coronavirus uh, got all this craziness started. Um, so people were already struggling. And I think this is definitely from the people I've talked to in the industry, definitely pushed a lot of people out. They said, look, we're, we're barely making it before now with dining rooms shut down. We're not going to make it. Uh, obviously there are a lot of rules being put in to do this opening thing, but there's a, a an economic issue that I think a lot of, uh, restaurant patrons don't really understand. And our, our whole business model is based on how many times we can turn the table over. That's, that's, that's the entire financials of opening any restaurant is you got X number of tables, you have X number of people you can fit into your space. How many times can you turn that table over in a given day? And if you're telling me now that my dining room capacity is cut to, you know, a quarter or half of what it was before, my, my, my costs are still my fixed costs. So it's still going to be X number of people that have to clean the tables and wipe down the tables. And now with a lot of these COVID restrictions, you obviously have to use reusable stuff. You have to be cleaning after everybody leaves. So those, those numbers don't change, but the number that does change is the amount of people that you can physically get into your, into your spot uh, in a given time frame. And so it, it, the, the economics of it, even opening up at half capacity, which is so far what we've seen is the best case scenario, it's still not going to add up and the numbers still aren't going to work. This is a long-term problem 
that restaurants and the food industry is going to have to face. And uh, we've got to really be thinking about how to do that. And online and curbside delivery, as far as I can see, is, is the only option right now. Well, I'm glad you're talking about turning tables over, because I think a lot of people who go to restaurants, you go in, you're a customer, you sit down, you order, you eat, and you leave. And they're not considering that there's this whole universe of stuff going on around them, which is all your fixed costs and, and all the people involved. Totally. And then you get the delivery platforms. People are starting to be a little bit more aware of how that works, uh, some of the apps. Um, but, you know, I, I remember when this first started, we had a lot of customers like, really want to support you. And, and it's been great to see this outpouring of support. And I think a lot of small businesses and restaurants like, like Augie's are, are, are feeling that love. We're feeling that appreciation from customers like, we want you to be around when this ends. And, you know, we put you on a rotation for coming in to buy it or we put you on our caviar or Grubhub rotation. And I had to educate some of my customers, say, hey, that's great. And you have no idea how much I appreciate that. And right on for the love. But you need to understand how these apps work as well. Not only understanding the economics, how a restaurant work, but the apps take between 30 to 15% of every single order that you put, that they place with you. So, and we can't change our menu items to be a different price for the delivery services. So a lot of people didn't understand that. They thought that the delivery fees that were tacked on to some of those apps were, were, were coming to the, to the restaurants when they're not. So again, in a normal time, when you can turn over those tables, like we're talking about uh, in a given shift, great. The delivery apps kind of act like a gravy. Those are customers that maybe in, in normal times aren't going to leave the house. They are working from home. They want the convenience of it. So it acts like a little, you know, thousand, two thousand extra bucks a month coming in as gravy. But if you're trying to rely on that solely uh, for your income and, and for your business to survive, it's just not it's not a viable option for people. So it's been interesting to to kind of educate folks about, like you said, everybody comes in, they customers great, customer service, they're the only person in their mind, right? They're the only people in the restaurant, they're all that matters to kind of educate. Uh, the consumer about what the reality of the restaurant business is. And again, this is coming from a guy, I'm not a restaurateur by trade. This is my first foray into it. And I've learned a hell of a lot. And it's, it's funny because now me and my family, friends I know who I've kind of talked to about the realities of it, we, we all go into food establishments and restaurants with a much different mindset. Well, certainly trial by fire for you in this situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. People want to support you. But you've just told us that there's a big chunk that comes out of the price that they pay. So talking about behind the scenes, Tasso, I want to ask you about Numa. What does it do? For a restaurant, it's an, it's an ordering system, but it really is also kind of a communication system. So um, it, we, we take a restaurant's phone number, which is still used. The restaurants still have, you know, need to be contacted uh, as a, this lowest common denominator way of reaching them, which is a phone number. And we make that phone number textable. So you can now take a landline phone and text the business, text the restaurant. And if you call them, they don't pick up, which happens during lunchtime or dinner time because the restaurants are busy dealing with orders and patrons. Um, we'll text the, the, uh, the, the customer back and say, hey, you can order just by using this online approach via messaging. Uh, and from there, we can take your order. You can view the menu, select what you want. You can pay with your credit card and press pay. 
that gets fed, that uh, information gets fed right into the um, uh, the restaurant's POS system. Gets printed onto the printer, so um, the person preparing the food knows exactly what needs to what needs to happen. And then all that communication back to the customer, which is you know when your order is going to be ready. Is it takeout? If you're coming curbside, where you're parking? What kind of a, a card color of card that you have so we can bring it out to you so it's a full system which allows you to both communicate with the restaurant uh, and uh, put an order in in this case Tasso has a background in location-based services but he also grew up around restaurants He has uncles in the restaurant business, and he told me he worked in restaurants his whole life. So he approached the problems restaurants were having in the pandemic from his own experience. For small businesses and restaurants in particular, they're trying to process as many inbounds during, uh, of, of orders during the peak times as they can. There's kind of this peak load issue that you face. And the bottleneck isn't typically the kitchen. It's typically getting all the orders in. And we found that restaurants were getting calls and inbounds from customers and they were unable to process them because they were, they were busy. So we help that overflow ordering coming in and by processing them through your phone. A question for Lex. Now, there's a lot of platforms out there. You mentioned a few, Chowhound, Grubhub, you know, so many. Why choose this one? And talk a little bit about, for a restaurant person, it must be pretty confusing to decide which one to use or do you use all of them? The delivery apps are good for a certain thing. You cannot run your business on them. We in the restaurant industry, man, if you're, if you're doing 5%, you are killing the game. You've got a 5% margin. You are the man. You are a successful restaurateur, uh, especially here in the Bay Area with the cost of everything being so expensive. And like I was saying earlier, these delivery apps are taking between 30 and 15%. So I didn't go to college. I'm not nearly as smart. Or good looking as Tasso, so you can do the math, or Tasso can do the math. But I, I know enough to know that that's not going to add up, and that's not going to make things work. So for us, uh, we were actually real hesitant to use the delivery services at first because of those issues. Being a new restaurant, you also worry about deliveries. Is it going to get there in time? Is the food going to taste good? So for the first year and a half, we didn't even we didn't even mess with any of the uh, any of the delivery apps because of those concerns that I mentioned. Um, as far as working with Numa goes, uh, that is uh, just a fortuitous set of circumstances and events. Uh, Tasso is a Canadian. I am Canadian. And when Tasso was at his other company before he started Numa, we were at, he actually gave us our first catering gig when we were still doing pop-ups out of, you know, the back of bagel shops or, you know, my smoker in, in, in my backyard. Um, so he was the first one to come at us. With this, so we had already had this relationship before he even started Numa when he was still with his previous company. So we kind of, and we hit it off because again, like I said, we're Canadian and we stick together. So for for us, it was it was pretty simple. Oh, here's this platform that's not based on a percentage of my sales, so you're not messing with my margin. Uh, it's a fixed cost, just like towels or you know to go containers. So from a business standpoint. It's a hell of a lot easier to calculate what that that monthly cost is going to be. It's just another line item in my budget, right? I'd say 90% of the phone calls that restaurants get are, hey, what time are you open? Where are you located? Do you have this? Do you have that? 
Answering simple questions like that is something an app can do really well. There's enough natural language processing built into Numa so it can handle taking orders. It can look for keywords in a text and respond, for example, with the restaurant's location. Yeah, we're open till you know three o'clock today, or you know we're located at eight seven five Potter Street in Berkeley, California. So that's a phone call that I didn't have to deal with. That's a phone call that my staff didn't have to deal with. So it's almost like having an extra employee. I'd say we're doing about 95% of our business is coming through the new map, not Caviar, not Grubhub, not even people just walking in. It's the text message ordering system that it, it makes people feel safe, makes people feel comfortable. And I got to say, man, we're, look, we're, we're a Montreal Jewish deli. We get some of the, uh, we get some folks that aren't necessarily the most tech savvy, that aren't necessarily, you know, texting their great grandchildren or their grandchildren. And uh, at first I was a little bit nervous about that being an issue, but I will actually have, you know, the little bubby who's 80 years old, who's like, I don't text message much, but this was so easy and so simple. And uh, it it makes you feel good because they're able to use the technology. It makes sense. It's easy. Uh, So for us, it was kind of a no brainer. And I got to say, it's been the lifeblood of my business right now. Restaurants clearly have been finding different ways of getting customers to find them and to order, whether it be online ordering or, in this case, texting ordering. How much of a game changer is this and how much is a level the playing field kind of proposition is this? Because it's clearly going to be with us for a while now. I don't know if it's going to level the playing field. And here's why. If you're Spago and if Wolfgang is listening, what's up, man? Thanks for doing all you do, helping people out. But if you're a sit-down restaurant where your whole your whole business model is based on this dining experience where you come in and you get served these magnificent meals and all these different courses, that's going to be a little bit harder to pull off if you're taking trying to take that experience and go ahead and throw it out to somebody, you know, br- bring it out to some our uh, curbside. So I think that you're kind of comparing apples to oranges because the sit down model, as opposed to the fast casual model, which is what, what we do at Augie's and a lot of other restaurants do are are so different in that people have a different expectation from what they're going to get. So as far as leveling the playing field that way, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Um, I think it's going to be a help for some of those sit down restaurants when there's issues that come up and maybe it will increase They They have to look at things a little bit differently. It's going to be based less on your, uh, you know, dining experience as far as, you know, sitting down and getting these amazing, you know, multiple course meals and more like, all right, Wolfgang makes a hell of a burger. So can Wolfgang go ahead now and make a burger that he can deliver curbside via text? Then, yeah, that's definitely going to help. But I, I think those levels of restaurants are definitely going to have to to adapt and, uh, and, and kind of evolve if they want to take advantage of this technology. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, the high-end sit-down white tablecloth restaurant experience, I mean, you're going for that experience. The food that's coming out is timely. Uh, you know, like if your duck is has, needs to have the crispy skin, it tastes good, that's not going to work in a, in a takeout curbside environment. Uh, I think and the whole experience is not there if you're doing takeout or curbside. I, I, this is just my opinion, but I think what ends up happening is um, a lot of these high-end restaurants, which have quality brands, uh, if you think of Aspago or you, know, you think about um, some of the some of the, kind of the, the great restaurants, uh, you know, Bandu here in San Francisco, for example, Chez Panisse, um, what they can do is they could leverage that brand and say we have a separate um, 
division or part of our restaurant, which is actually takeout. We do art and we do takeout food. So the food actually will travel well um, and it's sourced with amazing ingredients. So if you want to have this kind of an experience, kind of like a place like Chez Panisse, organic, super high quality, um, uh, you know, kind of things like salad with the dressing on the side, you can dress yourself with instructions, but everything is of the same quality um, in a model for a curbside um, I think that that could potentially work, but it's going to be a different type of food, um, and they'll be able to leverage the high quality brand that they have. But bringing the food that you're that you that you see in a white tablecloth dining experience to curbside is, is not really kind of the answer. That's uh, uh, you know uh, you know square peg through round hole. I wonder if the Spagos of the world are going to have even a harder go of it in this environment because like Lex started out saying the social distancing and the extra expenses are, our menu is going to have to go through the roof in pricing or are they going to have to have four people in that restaurant per night? You know, it sounds like a pretty rough go for a high end restaurant and maybe a better go for those that can adapt. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have to adapt and change. I mean, you know, if you don't adapt and you don't change and you don't evolve, go extinct so be it the big time restaurants uh be it the small guys be it the fast food restaurants everybody's gonna have to change everybody's gonna have to adapt i mean even before covid started happening you were starting to see you know like uh self-ordering kiosks you're seeing it at the airport people aren't checking you in anymore you're getting on there i I read a real interesting survey by this firm out of san diego that said a lot of people prefer to do that and that's a shame to me a little bit and this is where maybe i'll show some of my age but like I like to look to people in the eye. I, I like to have a nice conversation, a little chit chat, as you can tell probably from this interview. I like to chit chat a little bit, but a lot of people are stuck looking down at their phones. They don't want to have those interactions. And for better, for worse, that's just the way our society is going. So I, I think a lot of these places are going to have to make those changes and, and adapt to, to, to the times because we can all wish it was some way different or it was back to, to what it was before, but this is where we're at. And uh, you, either, you either adapt or you go extinct. So everybody's going to have to make some changes. What are the bright spots that have come out of this for you? For us, I think one of the bright spots is, and like you said earlier, people are starting to get it a little bit more. And, you know, it's always sad, but it, it, in tragedy, you know, it can bring out the worst and the best in people. And at least from a restaurateur's perspective, like I had mentioned earlier, just the love that's being shown, the appreciation, the thank yous that we get, like, thank you for staying open. And we really don't want you to go away and we'll do our best to help out. It's been great. And this COVID time and this kind of awakening of people to understanding how this business works, how hard it is, how tough it is, how important it is to support these small Uh, local restaurants that maybe do a certain type of food that you can't get anywhere else, how important it is to, to, to not only just support them with your dollar, but support them with like a kind word and just some appreciation for what everybody does from the front of the house to the back of the house. And so I think that that's been a, a very positive sign that's, that's come out of this. Hopefully people remember that as we move forward, whenever we get out of all this craziness. Uh, because to me, that's been the real bright spot. I think. I think one of the interesting uh, kind of human things that have happened is there, there's a greater realization that your local restaurant is also, especially ones that you have obviously are uh, frequent, 
are uh, institutions, cultural institutions for you. The thought of those things closing, uh, those restaurants closing down is that you actually lose a piece of yourself. I know, you know, I'm from Montreal, like Lexus, and there's place, it's Montreal's an kind of old city with like, great institutions, you know, Cafe Italia and all these amazing places. Um, if those were to ever close, you would lose a piece of yourself. It's not just some business. It is part of your identity. It's where you've taken your kids for their birthday parties or after a baseball game or something or a special anniversary or just the Friday, you know, kind of, hey, let's like, let's just grab some Chinese food. Totally. And I mean, just to just to kind of dovetail on that a little bit, I'm I'm seeing from from landlords and commercial real estate folks like they're starting to understand that, hey, you know what, maybe I don't charge the restaurant, you know, this premium top dollar for this space. Because if I have this cool spot in and I've got this good vibe and like Tasso was saying, this place that people feel connected to, well, guess what? It's going to make the rest of the properties around there a little bit more valuable because now we've created this vibe and this scene. And uh, uh, I honestly think that when we get through the other side, knock on wood, if we're able to, to get through it, that we as a business, as Audie's Montreal Deli and as a brand, uh, because we sell products to see our products to, uh, to supermarkets and and other wholesale uh, operations is going to come out stronger as a result of kind of sticking through these tough times and, and being able to adapt and adjust. You both should have your own podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. It was really great. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Lee. Hey, thanks for listening. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Get show notes and more at futurex.fm and our website, futurefood.fm. Future Food is part of the FutureX Podcast Network. I'm Lee Schneider.